I was talking with someone the other day about gadgets and more particularly about which gadgets seemed to be the greatest thing since sliced bread at the time, but then became very quickly out of date. And one of them, I think, was the sat-nav or GPS for your car. I still uh, recall one, when I got one just as I moved up to Wellington from here. And it was one of those funny things you actually had to stick to the windscreen. Uh, and uh, But I found when I got to Wellington that it would take me into incredibly narrow, no exit, cliff top, impossible to get out of places, and then say loudly to me, turn around when possible, which it usually wasn't. I can remember the first time we drove through the rainbow from Hanma to Lake Rotuiti, and the sat-nav got thoroughly confused when we went off the sealed road. And in the end, we decided that actually the best thing to do was turn around when possible was to turn it off. But the Advent journey that we begin today as a church over the next four weeks is one of those turn around and go a different way times of the year. Just as in Lent, we turn to face the cross, so in Advent, we turn to face the coming Christ, Jesus, who is both child in the manger and King of glory, infant lowly and Lord of all creation. And I think it helps us to keep that double focus, both preparing for the first coming of Jesus at Christmas, but then also looking ahead to Jesus one day coming again in glory as our creed proclaims. In the years that I've, since I've come back to Christchurch post-quakes, I've always loved the artwork by British artist Martin Creed uh, along the side of the art gallery. And I think, Diana, I've got it there on the next slide. You can just pop it up on the next slide. Hopefully it'll come up. There it is. Um, and it says simply, in neon lights, everything is going to be all right. The only quibble I have with it is the spelling of all right, but you know, you can't have you can't have everything. <laughs> but to me, everything is going to be all right is the Christian hope of the Advent season. There's something deep in the heart of each one of us, I think, that wants everything to be all right. And yet we live in a world where we're increasingly told minute by minute that everything is not all right with our world, whether it's the latest variant of the COVID pandemic, Omicron, or extreme weather events caused by climate change, whether it's terrorist attacks or whether it's the latest shenanigans of dictators and politicians. We know full well that things are not all right. Perhaps it's not surprising if we hear the words of our gospel today, there'll be signs in the sun, the moon and the stars on the earth, distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. And it resonates with us. The recent COP26 climate change conference in Glasgow heard from our Pacific neighbours who live on such low-lying and increasingly salty islands. Those who've suffered from recent hurricanes and tsunami, they know all about the roaring of the sea and the waves. So perhaps we need that rather strong apocalyptic language of our gospel to be shaken out of our complacency, particularly those of us in Western nations who have created so many of the problems, but do not stand to suffer 
as much of those who are more vulnerable geographically and economically. It's no longer possible for us in the West, we know, to live such profligate lives of consumption of the world's resources. And so whether we like it or not, we are having to rethink what it is to live sustainably for the sake of all on our planet, to live more simply so that others may simply live. Many of us, I think, are making ethical choices about what and how we spend for Christmas, perhaps reducing the amount of stuff or plastic and seeking alternative ways of giving our time or talents or ways that give life and hope to the majority world. And I know Joe's uh, written an article about that in uh, a December morning post out today. But hang on a minute, you might say to me, aren't you just falling into the same trap of those many Christians who over the centuries have looked and listened to these gospel words of Jesus and just seen them as a mirror of their own times, matching up Jesus' descriptions with whatever particular crisis or war or tragedy was assailing them at the time. We need, of course, to think how these words of Jesus would have been heard in his own time. We need to acknowledge their context as Jesus is teaching in the temple just prior to his own final days of turmoil, suffering and death on a Roman cross. We need to recall that just a generation on from when Jesus spoke these words, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple at the hands of the Roman armies in AD 70 was a reality. And it must have seemed like the end of the earth and the shaking of all things on heaven and earth to Jesus' followers. And so Jesus warned them of what must soon take place and he uses images familiar to his hearers from apocalyptic literature like the book of Daniel. Jesus used the image which was so popular in messianic expectation of his time of the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Just who is this Son of Man figure coming in a cloud? Well, the cloud we know is a biblical symbol of God's presence, so the Son of Man is actually being ushered into the very presence of God. It's one like a Son of Man, an ordinary human being like us, and yet not like us. For this human being is given by God dominion and glory and kingship, which is both universal and everlasting. So just who is this extraordinary human being figure? As we come towards the end of the Old Testament era, more and more the Son of Man figure came to be identified with the ideal longed-for Messiah, the king who would rescue God's people from oppression and bring back justice and righteousness and safety to God's people. And we're well aware from the Gospels of how Jesus used this mysterious name for himself. It was the name he used of himself the most. He called himself the Son of Man bringing to mind, yes, his humanity, his identification with us in our human flesh, but also for those with ears to hear, recalling that enigmatic passage from Daniel with all its freight of messianic expectation. And so as Jesus tells his followers, they will see within their generation the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, 
first of all, he is referring to his vindication by God after the suffering of the cross, his enthronement into God's presence through the resurrection and the ascension. That is what that generation will see. That's the first coming of Jesus in glory into God's presence. And then and only then do Jesus' followers and we with them look forward to a second coming of Jesus in power and glory to bring to fulfillment the kingdom of God begun at Jesus' first coming, to complete our redemption one at the cross, to unite heaven on earth, to answer our prayer, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. This is the everything is going to be all right message of Advent. And this is our Advent hope, which we reflect on over these four Sundays heading up to Christmas through our hymns, great hymns and anthems, uh, as we rejoice and consider these things together. The challenge, of course, is how then should we live in the meantime? What are the verbs of our gospel reading today? I always find it helpful to look for the verbs. Stand up, raise your heads, look, be on guard, be alert at all times. I have the, the image in my head a bit like the um, Springer Spaniels we used to have in our family uh, when you leave them at home on guard and they're, uh, they're always there when you come back sniffing the air and eagerly waiting for the familiar scent of the owner, getting ready for that rapturous tail-wagging welcome. On tenterhooks, yes, but it's a positive waiting. It's an excited, this is all going to be worth it in the end, waiting. I wonder, may we recapture some of that anticipation-filled waiting of the Advent hope in our rather world-weary and cynical and anxious age. How do we regain that perspective? It's not easy, is it? I think one way is through doing what we're doing today, just actually making time in the busy end of the year to intentionally pause in God's presence for worship and prayer. It's a thought I found helpful. Prayer is an activity which takes us out of the production consumption system. While we have churches, temples, mosques, cathedrals, places in which people come together in prayer, prayer is that simple, intimate act stilling us into an attitude of gratitude and concern. Through prayer, we move beyond a belief in ourselves as just self-contained individuals whose abilities or ceaseless activity or even creativity will solve the problems we face. We regain our perspective in that way about God, about the world and about ourselves through prayer, through stopping, through pausing. And then we can take considered action, not just frenetic running around in circles, as uh, probably I was doing a bit before the service, actually. Um, this is the still point. This is when we pause. And that can then give more room within us to allow love and empathy to flourish. Another quote. If we do not allow ourselves to be paralyzed with panic or anxiety, over the fate of our planet. 
we can then get on with simply making the everyday choices that actually offer the best hope of a sustainable future for all. So with God and in Christ, everything is going to be all right. That is our Advent hope. Thanks be to God. Amen. Going to turn now.